Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed self-regulation program that integrates three unique things, social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. Conscious Discipline is a brain-based program. Therefore, it helps adults understand the impact of stress and trauma on our behavior. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are just that, real people. And as real people, their brains work the same as children when under threat. Real teachers go through lockdowns and shootings right alongside all the children. Real teachers fear for their lives as well as the lives of their children. Yet real teachers wake up day after day and dedicate their lives to teaching. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to keep themselves and children safe enough to learn. Today, we're talking about a harsh reality facing us all, school shootings, and how do we keep our children and teachers safe. Since Sandy Hook, one of the deadliest school shootings ever, where 20 kids as young as six and seven years old and six teachers were gunned down, we've had 440 more teachers and children shot and 139 deaths. And once again, we as a nation argued amongst ourselves until Florida high school students stood up and said, enough's enough. And it's time for us to do the same. So today we're going to talk about active shooter drills or lockdowns as they're called. This podcast is the first of four we're going to do. We want to see it from all perspectives. Today, we're going to talk from a principal's perspective. Then we're going to see from a student, a parent, and from teacher's perspective. And finally, podcast number four, I'm going to sum it all up and tell us what we can do. Gun laws may or may not change. Mental health services may or may not arrive. But we teachers and administrators will be there. We will be teaching. We will be leading. And there are things we can do, and we can do them right now. We must, for the first time, ask ourselves different questions than ever before. How do we prepare teachers and children for a life and death situation and for optimal learning at the same time? You know, our brain is a survival organ. When it's threatened, it automatically shuts down the higher centers needed for learning in order to survive. And this issue is crucial to education. Now, all along, we've had children walk in our classroom in trauma, meaning they believe that they're being attacked at all times. So now we're waking up to many questions. We're waking up to trauma-informed programs like Conscious Discipline. We're waking up to these children who live in life or death. And now we're waking up to the whole world where we're all experiencing these life and death in one hand and learning on the other hand. So imagine yourself at work and some kind of wild animal like a tiger gets into the building and starts gnawing and chasing you. And you're being chased. You know for a fact you're going to be ripped apart. And your boss comes over and says, do you have those quarterly reports we need? I'm not sure you gave that lady up there the right change. Did you have a problem I could help you with? You can see how difficult that sounds. How could you learn? How could you teach? How could you do anything except survive? And that's what's going on in the lives and the brains in our schools today. Two-thirds of all schools hold some form of actor-shooter drills to teach children and teachers how to react to the event of an armed intruder in the building. Some schools, believe it or not, make these drills very realistic. 
They simulate gunshots. They have smoke coming out of the building. They use fake blood in the halls. Some schools use the basic recommended procedures. And believe it or not, some schools just wing it. And some don't have drills at all. Most of us remember the fire drills we had in school. Month after month, you know, the, the basically the alarm goes off. We get in line. We snake ourselves out the building, get in formation outside, and wait for the all-clear call and walk back in. Now, some of you folks listening might be as old as me, and we had the duck and cover drills to prepare us for the atomic bombs, which means we just put our hands on our head, put our head under our desk, and waited for the mushroom cloud to miss us. Now, those are very different than what's happening now. They're different because we never saw on any social media, or I didn't, any school burn. It wasn't on our phones. It went on our tablets. We didn't have tablets. We didn't have phones. And it certainly wasn't on television. We didn't see any school, at least in the United States, get hit by a nuclear bomb. So we didn't see it happening. We didn't even know it could happen. We just did these rote, mindless drills because we were asked to. And I didn't even think much about them. I don't know if you did, but I didn't think, oh, my gosh, the building's going to burn. And, of course, we laughed off the nuclear thing. But I only thought about the fire drills if I got out of something I didn't like doing at school or it got me to something I loved to do at school. But other than that, they were just basically a nuisance. But lockdowns are different. Kids see every day kids coming out with their hands on their head. We see news reels on TV over and over and over. We see the parents in distress. We see the kids crying. We see the aftermath of the blood and the scene all over the school. And these imprint our minds and make these drills more real than we hoped they'd ever be. In these lockdowns that have now become a fixture, kindergarten children learn to hide quietly. Teachers warn high school students that the glow of the cell phones make them a target. Parents get regular text messages from school officials alerting them to a lockdown. Some children and teachers appear to be desensitized by the drills and the false alarms and think they are more disruptive than scary. Some children and teachers are becoming hypersensitive to the ever-present danger, and we are actually getting traumatized teachers and children in our schools. Today, I've invited Diane Phelan to talk with us about lockdowns and this dilemma. Diane is a principal of Keller Middle School in Pasadena ISD, Texas. She's been in education for 24 years, 14 of those in elementary, and 10 in middle school. She learned of conscious discipline over 14 years ago and has transformed her award-winning school with amazing gains in academics and behavior. She's been with us before on Real Talk with Your Teacher, and welcome back, Diane. Thank you. It's good to be back, Dr. Bailey. So first, just Tell us all again one more time about your wonderful, amazing school, Keller Middle School, and the success have you seen since you've been on this journey of transforming it from before and after conscious discipline? Well, I'm always excited to share the great things going on at Keller Middle School. What I can tell you for sure is that we definitely have made a huge transformation from our early days just 10 years ago. Our teachers are very well aware of their own brain states, their reactions to certain triggers, and are very good at working on calming themselves. And doing that, they are able to teach those same skills to their students. So it just trickles right down. We are able to notice children, notice teacher behavior, and see it as a cry for help. 
and um, move forward that way so that kids are ready to learn, teachers are ready to teach. And if they're not, we work on why they're not ready. And so that's been a big transformation for us. We've seen a lot of success with that. We certainly have seen it with our academics that have gone up. We've also seen our behavior referrals come down. And so it's just been a win-win situation for us at Keller. So you just won an award, didn't you, recently? We did. We were an honorable mention school for schools of character in the state of Texas. So that was very exciting. So we're excited about that. Hopefully we'll get the the coveted Texas School of Character Award soon. But we were honorable mention. So that was very exciting for us. Okay, good for you. All right. So now let's move to the topic at hand. I'm assuming you have lockdown drills. Is that true? Yes, ma'am. We have them several times throughout the year. We're required to do that every year. And so we several times, sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes it's something we've planned, but we have them several times. Yes, ma'am. How do you address that dilemma? How do you prepare to die and keep teaching at the same time? I mean, that's the short version, but how do you handle it in such a way that it's not traumatizing to your parents, teachers, and students? We're fifth and sixth grade. And so fortunately for us, when kids come to us, they have had it. They've had these lockdown drills for five, six, seven years, some of them. And so they're familiar with it. We try to stress to our teachers, the teacher's going to set the tone in the classroom. That's whether they're teaching or not. So in a lockdown, certainly we want our teachers to understand that they've got to be calm, remind the kids that they're safe and then get the kids to safety. It's it's a tough one. It's a very scary drill. That's the scariest drill I think that we do. It's tough and it can certainly ignite some feelings and it can be a trigger for some kids and for some teachers honestly. So we just go back to what our roots are with conscious discipline and talk, you know, start with that safety language. So what you're saying, Diane, is that the foundation of conscious discipline, which is a trauma-informed program, has helped you maneuver through these stressful events. Absolutely. And it's given us a much better understanding of the children's basic need to feel safe and the adults need to feel safe in the building as well. And for the teachers to understand that what they're doing in the classroom can help a child feel safe or it can help them to not feel safe. And so that's huge in a lockdown drill. Explain your lockdown procedure to us. How does it go? Our lockdown actually comes through our intercom system. It's just basically a voice that comes on and it says a lockdown is now in effect. And it says it over and over again. A lockdown is now in effect. And so at that point, our teachers are to scoop up any children that might be in the hallways, move into their classrooms. And we have glass in our buildings. And so they they have a piece of paper that they cover the glass so that you can't see into the classroom. They lock the door from the inside and they get the kids into a corner of the room that can't be seen where the, you know, glass broken or could somebody see into the room and turn the lights off so that it would appear that that no one's in that room. What do the teachers usually say? You know, it's kind of individual. And I have to be honest with you, as long as we've done lockdown drills, I've only been on the administrative side of it. So I haven't been in the classroom when we've actually done a lockdown. I'm always walking the halls. So Whatever they're saying is working because the kids are doing exactly what is expected. And we don't have a lot of um, meltdowns with the kids. And we have older kids. I think if I was in an elementary school, that's a tougher thing to do with pre-K and kindergartners. You know, why are we shutting the lights off? Why do we have to be so quiet without 
given them too much information, but enough information so that they understand we've got to do this to keep you safe. Right. But even with the fifth and sixth grade, you've got to have teachers and children in that population that have had some personal trauma themselves. Absolutely. There's got to be some triggering that goes on. Have you seen any of that? We haven't seen it with lockdown specifically. I'll tell you when we do see it is when we have tornado drills and when we have real tornado issues. And I'm sure after the latest hurricane in Houston, we're going to have some of that trigger with with that stuff again with weather. But so much for lockdowns, not as much. We've had some, just a sprinkling handful. But again, our teachers have been really trained in understanding that safety and connection piece and helping the kids to feel safe. And so they're very empathetic. They're not barking orders at children. They are just matter of fact, here's what we need to do. This is to keep you safe. And our kids understand that and they're able to respond with our teachers. That's interesting about the tornado and the weather. And certainly after Harvey, this is going to increase. So do you have a story about something with a tornado or an actual event? Well, for sure. We had a tornado close by our school last year. And we had several kids that we knew had some weather fear. Like if it got cloudy outside, there was a little bit of anxiousness. And so we knew that ahead of time. And so in a tornado drill, it's kind of like the drill you talked about for the nuclear bomb. We do duck and cover. And because our building has lots of glass around, we have to move the kids to interior rooms in the building. And so we've got kids moving and we were in a tornado drill for about an hour. And I have to tell you, for me, tornadoes, bad weather, it is a button for me personally. It scares me to death. Weather is is a tough one for me. And so I really empathize with kids that have that issue. So we had some kids in tears and had to send counselors in to work one-on-one with some of these kids that were just scared. I mean, that's the bottom line. They were scared and having some big feelings because they knew when you're in there for an hour, you know, it's not a drill. And so that just brings up that anxiety stuff going on. And so we just had some some people going in and just breathing with them and reminding them we're in here in this room because this is the safest place for us to be. You know, it's going to pass right through. I believe one of the counselors was actually kind of watching it on their phone with the kids so they could see the storm moving away just to show them that it's safe. We're going to be safe. So, so that was one of our big ones. You know, lockdown's the same thing. When you're in a school that's supposed to be loud and you should hear children talking and you should hear the gym and you should hear the music rooms and you should hear learning happening and teacher voices, it's scary when a school building full of children is silent. I bet. I mean, that's just an eerie, eerie feeling. Yeah, it's not supposed to be that way. And so personally, I have to say in my own head, this is a drill. We're safe. This is a drill. It's what we teach the kids. Oh, well, that is perfect. So you're helping them with their inner voice. You're helping them understand why you are doing this in a very routine way with an assertive voice. And you have your teachers and counselors available, but most all of them have a connection with the kids and can offer empathy instead of just barking, put your cell phone away and stop this and do this. Absolutely. So have any of the teachers ever talked to you about these drills when you have a faculty meeting? Do you all have a discussion about this? Yes, ma'am. And this is kind of a funny story, but a little bit scary as well. I had a teacher, we were kind of joking at the beginning of the school year this year, we were going through drills and one of my teachers was in a room with some other teachers and they were just cutting up and laughing. And he was talking about his first year at our campus, which was three years ago. He came in into the middle of the year. So a teacher had quit in about October, had to leave, had some family stuff going on. And so he was in the middle of the year. And on his 
first or second day. We hadn't completely oriented him to school and how things work. And he was a brand new, fresh teacher. And he said, all of a sudden, the lockdown alarm goes off. And he goes, I look out because he said, I wasn't really sure what we were doing. And he noticed that all the teachers had put the paper down over his glass. And he said, and I'm fumbling, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And then he said, he knew exactly. He's been through the CD Institute. So he said, I now know that I'm freaking out and trying to get this blinds down and shut and turn the lights off and do what everybody else is doing. And the kids are freaking out, too. Because I'm freaking out. I look back at it now and know that they were just feeding off of his panic. Now, I never knew that when we walked around the building as we got to his classroom. It was quiet. The paper was down. His blinds were closed. I mean, he had done everything he was supposed to, but it was in a panic state. And so it just reminded me of how even though we have adults in the building, we don't do that often. And so we've got to keep reminding the teachers of what we're supposed to do during a drill or when something happens. You know, I totally took responsibility for that because we didn't do what we were supposed to. And that teacher was in a panic state. And so we kind of created a little bit of anxiety for him, which just trickled right on down to the kids as well. So the teachers are good at their jobs and our teachers are very good at connecting with their kids and our kids respond to that. So when there's a drill, they know it's serious. They know that we take it serious and the teachers are good at communicating that information to the kids. Well, I think that story says a lot. You know, there's a time in my life where I didn't know I was angry until the day after or I'm not aware as much. You know, it's like I'm the last one to know I'm anxious or I'm the last one to know that I'm sad. And I think as I've practiced conscious discipline, I'm now able to notice my internal state much more effectively so that I'm aware closer to real time that, whoa, and I'm able to see its impact on others. So I think that speaks so highly of of certainly this teacher that came in, but also of all the teachers. Absolutely. Sometimes we just go through life so unconsciously. So what would you suggest if you had a couple things to say? I mean, so here we are. We've got principals, teachers, and and possibly some parents listening, because I'm sure that's hard for them. I mean, you're a parent. It's got to be terrible to get that ding on your phone saying, you know, the school's in lockdown. So do you do anything with your parents? Or what would you want to say to principals, teachers, and parents? What's your top four things we've got to do and be about it? I think first and foremost, it's important for us to know what our triggers are. As far as those drills go, you know, what anxiousness we might have with relation to either the weather drills or or this lockdown drill. If that's going to be a trigger for you, you have to understand what that's going to do to your body, how you're going to be feeling. That's the first piece. I think that's important to know. And then to coach yourself, how am I going to handle this if this happens? I've got to take some deep breaths and remind myself, you know, get to safety or I'm going to be safe and I can handle this. Those words that we teach to the kids. And the biggest piece is knowing that our reaction, the kids get that. So whatever we're doing, they're going to respond to that. So if I'm a crazy maniac freaking out, then the kids are going to start freaking out as well. They're not going to feel safe or less safe than they already do. And so that's a big piece, even as a parent. My daughter was scared to go to school one day because there was stuff on social media about some something that might happen. And we had to do some coaching. I had to say, you know, if this was real, we would know this already. The teachers, the school's going to let us know this. You can handle this. You know what to do. What are you going to do in a case of an emergency? Where are you going to go? And we just had to walk 
walk through those steps. That's what is important about the drills is that it does allow us to practice so that if something happens, we know exactly what to do and there's not a bunch of panic and mayhem in the moment because we have practiced. If we know our triggers and we know how to calm ourselves as the adult, then we can absolutely coach the kids. That makes complete sense and very helpful. Now, after you have a lockdown or even a tornado drill or a weather situation, how do you get them back to learning? Is there a transition from, okay, we've just done this, now page 12 and start reading? No, ma'am. What we do, first of all, is once we know that all the kids are back in class, we always come on, no matter what kind of drill it is, the administrator will come on the intercom and say, you guys did a fantastic job with that drill. We hope that we never have to use that, but we tell you every day it's our job to keep you safe and we have to practice this drill just to practice our safety. If it's a real thing, for the example, the tornado, we got them back in class and we said, man, came over the announcements and let them know that was scary. We're sorry that took so long, but that was for your safety. So until we knew the weather was okay and that our school was a safe place for you all to be moving around in, we felt like you needed to stay there. So we go ahead and explain it. And then the teachers always take some time to do something within their classroom to transition because, again, they have the relationships. And so they know the best way to connect with their kiddos. And, you know, if it was me and it was my classroom after that tornado hour long event, I think I would have said, let's just chill. How are y'all feeling? Let's talk about this or let, you know, just give them a brain break because that was exhausting. It was exhausting for me. And I can't imagine if kids had some triggers with the weather, how exhausted they would feel. So certainly I would expect them to give them some time to to transition back into learning. Excellent. I mean, that just makes complete sense. So let me sum this up. So the first things we would want for others to know is know your triggers. I'm beginning to build a few after after the last couple hurricanes. So know your triggers, know how to manage them, and know how to connect with students and know what true empathy is like. Absolutely. And so that you can offer it. And I think not always are teachers, unless you've had conscious discipline, have the opportunity to be trained in those skills So we're often relying on counselors. And I don't know about you, but there's, you know, one counselor for a lot of kids. Right, right. We break it down in this world of ours and get our teachers in there. Certainly they're not counselors, but they do know how to be assertive, stay calm, and offer empathy in a situation and help a child go from the lower centers of their brain to the higher centers. So that's what I'm hearing, the first steps that we do. I think the first step probably would be be really embedded in conscious discipline or some practice that embeds social emotional learning deeply into what you're doing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's been very helpful. And I'll be honest with you, even our kids can help each other. You know, you were talking about the counselors. Even our kids are, have the ability in the situations to help each other because they've been taught social emotional learning. Diane, that is so powerful. That is just so powerful. One of the things that conscious discipline does, its goal is to help each person learn to regulate their own emotional states as well as help others. And what you've actually done, Diane, is that you have taken your school through the transformation of conscious discipline. Instead of waiting on the counselors that may or may not be able to show up at the time needed, you have created hundreds of many little counselors as each student in your building is able to regulate themselves and help others in distress. 
Way to go, Diane. And thank you for spending your time with us and sharing your expertise and your brilliance. It's always a joy to talk to you and to hear your sweet little voice. So thank you again. Thank you, Dr. Bailey. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, or wondering, what's Becky up to now? Well, this is a new little section we're adding, and I'm excited to tell you what's happening. Coming up soon, I've been invited to the Chan Zuckerberg Roundtable. They have different foundations. Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg have taken and put their little toe into the waters of education, especially after Priscilla's second child. She started a school out in California called the Primary School to help at-risk children in her neighborhood. And they've also then are working hard on this social-emotional piece, the mental health of students, of the whole child. They're calling it personalized learning. So they invited 10 people from all over the country, and I was honored to be one of those 10, to come out to sit at a roundtable and have a discussion. And the beauty of this was, one, there were several heavy hitters around that table, I must admit. And the outcome of it was we got to brainstorm, and there's many wonderful things happening in this country but they're all in their one little silo. So my hope is that they break these silos down and they bring people like-minded but different strategies together and we work out something that can be brought uh, back to the world. So they certainly have the passion and they certainly have the finances to do that. So it was an exciting opportunity. And now I have a celebration. It's a big one. It's a big one for me because I don't get out into classrooms as much as I'd like. And so I had the opportunity while out at the roundtable to go to Priscilla Chan's school, the primary school, of which she's started to serve at-risk and underserved children out in California and, interesting enough, called us and is using conscious discipline. And here's my celebration, really. She'd hired all these teachers, very brilliant, brilliant teachers from Harvard and Yale and Teach for America, very, very young and brilliant teachers. And they were having trouble managing these at-risk kids, and they had a program to manage them. And I'm celebrating the fact they called us. Now, I don't know how they got our number, how they heard about us, but they called us. And since then, Jill Moley and Kim Jackson, and now myself, we've been out there working with these teachers. These teachers are brilliant. They're willing. They're making a difference. And so let me tell you this one story about coaching in the classroom. So this one kid is just all over the place. He comes in. He doesn't want to move from A to B. He throws fits. He does every kind of thing, and he hits the teacher. So he'd gone out of the room. I think they dragged him out of the room, but he was coming back into the room. I had the opportunity to see this happen because there was a lot going on in that classroom. And so he's just wailing and flailing, and he hits the teacher. And I watched, and she just went, that's not nice. So I went over there, because I knew it's going to hit her again. And I went into her ear, and I said, go, ouch, just like that. And she listened. She did exactly what I said. He hit her. She went, ouch. And this little boy, you could see his whole body change. You could see he got the message, oh, that hurts you, because we're actually talking to the lower center of his brain. You know, I call it talking animal. We could all be Dr. Doolittle, I guess, at some point. But he understood the ouch that a dog sends to another when they're playing, kind of a yelp, you know, when they get to playing and they get to playing too hard. One goes, ouch, and the other one goes, okay, didn't get it, got it now. They back up, and then they come back at it. Well, his whole body changed. You could see the remorse on his face. Tears popped in his eye like, I have hurt my precious teacher. I had no idea. And the bond that built at that moment when that teacher saw his body change, it was very evident. And I was there describing it for his body's changing. He's saying, his whole body's saying, oh, I didn't know I was hurting you. 
I like you so much. You're so important to me. And she reached out to hug him as I'm narrating this. And he just hugged her and crawled up inside her chest. And they just kind of rocked there together. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world. But we have to take one moment, one moment just like that and go, ooh, baby, I celebrate that. And it was a fun time. So that's my big celebration. Might sound small to some of you, but for me, it was a joy beyond joy. And if we could just do that once a day, life would be a dream, sweetheart. So until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.